We've been conditioned to not talk about money in this way. We can talk around money. We can dance around the subject, but mm-hmm. what do they say? Scared money don't make money. Love it. I've never heard that before. And I'm, ooh, that is good. <laughs> Hello, listeners, and welcome to season four of SOS with Sonia Rasula. I'm flipping the script this season, and instead of advising business owners, I've gathered a badass group of industry experts to help you thrive. You'll hear from a Forbes editor on how to pitch the press. A finance guru will help you attack all things money. We'll help you future-proof your business by becoming a digital dynamo. My lawyer will teach us all how to stay out of trouble. You'll learn how to write emails that result in instant sales, and we'll have a real talk conversation about reels. So get ready to take notes because this season is all about the experts. It's time to face your money. Today's guest is Paco De Leon, the founder of the Hell Yeah Group, a financial advising firm, and the author of Finance for the People, Getting a Grip on Your Finances. Today we tackle some all caps major topics like wealth mindset, how fear and trauma relate to money, the inequitable system we're all in, and what you can do to get your finances in order. Check out our show notes for all the amazing resources that Paco mentions during this episode. Like me, Paco is a no small talk kind of person, so get ready to learn big. First, I want to thank our longtime sponsor, Constant Contact, for making this season possible. Constant Contact is a digital marketing platform that helps small businesses and nonprofits of all sizes build, grow, and succeed. With email marketing, contact management, industry-leading list growth tools, social media ads, and more, Constant Contact helps small businesses connect with customers, find new ones, and sell online. All from one easy-to-use platform. To get 30% off your first three months, visit constantcontact.com slash SOS. That's constantcontact.com slash SOS. Now let's dive into the episode. Let's have you introduce yourself, say your name, and share a little bit about your business. My name is Paco De Leon, and I run a company called the Hell Yeah Group. And really the Hell Yeah Group does two things. The first thing that we do is what you are experiencing inside of your ears at this very moment. I teach people and talk to people and educate people and inspire people to address their relationship with money and finances in their life. The other thing I do is I run a bookkeeping agency called Hell Yeah Bookkeeping, and we do the accounting and the bookkeeping for various creative businesses, mostly production companies and marketing agencies, anything really where the business owner is using their creativity to generate revenue and they have multiple clients and multiple jobs. When it's that level of complication, all the bookkeepers on my team are adequately challenged and and they're happy and we get to feel like we add value in our clients' lives. So I'm all about money on the personal side and all about money on the business side. And I serve creatives. Yes, I love it. Obviously, I know more about you and more about your story because we're friends and I've known you for many, many years. But if you could share with all of my listeners, 
why you left the corporate world. Because you didn't just start, you know, the Hell Yeah group, boom. You had a past corporate life, which, you know, I did too. And probably most of our listeners also did, or they're currently still in the corporate world and trying to figure out how to maybe take that hobby and that passion full time. So what made you want to leave the corporate world and go out on your own? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think I chose to leave the corporate world. I feel like I was pushed out of it. And I think there were various things happening that kind of, you know, led to that. But let me back up and tell you a little bit about my work history. And my very first job was actually at Bank of America and I was a debt collector. And so for two years, for 20 hours a week, I sat in a call center and I, I collected on past due car payments on behalf of the bank. Whoa. And it, I know. And whenever I tell people this, they're kind of like, it's kind of a mixed bag of reaction, but it's never like, that sounds amazing. It's always like, <laughs> are you okay? That must have been sketchy or like, you know, it's never a positive reaction. But I will say, I definitely got some good stuff out of it. Well, I learned a lot about how people related to money, right? Because I'm calling and I'm saying, hey, you're past doing your Honda Civic and people have this reaction. People often are mad at me and mm-hmm. I had, you know, there's all this shame and this guilt because people are past due. So I got to see that up front. I kind of got to see the housing crisis up front because right before I left, you could just feel that the, the wheels were falling off the bus. The infrastructure at the bank wasn't there. The left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. We were overwhelmed and inundated with all the foreclosures. And I learned how to talk to literally any person in the world about money. I mean, after you call strangers and you're like, hi, you're, you know, you're 45 days past due on your F- F-150, you can talk to anyone about money. So I'm glad that I took that job. From there, I got this job doing small business consulting and management at a boutique firm in LA. And that's where I learned how to do bookkeeping. That's where I saw the inside of interior design businesses and you know various creative businesses. And then I was working, after that, I, I worked at a boutique financial planning firm. And that's where I kind of feel like my boss kind of lifted the curtain at that job. And he was like, hey, kid, This is how the world of money works, you know? A lot of it, you know, the theory I learned in school, of course, because I studied finance, but it was really fascinating to be sitting at these conference room tables and hearing the information that was shared and hearing how people taught their clients about how the world of money works. And I just, over time, sitting at that table, I started to feel like, man, I feel really privileged and lucky that I kind of won the lotto at this great firm, you know, I didn't go to any special school. So I felt like lucky that I was there. But over time, I thought, wow, all the people we serve, they can afford, they can afford financial planners, but the people who really need the help, they can't afford us. Mm -hmm. So this feels weird. Like we would only take on clients that had assets of a million dollars or more, or they were making like $400,000, you know, and in Los Angeles, you know, there's a lot of folks like that. But those weren't my friends, you know, my friend who studied drums or my friend who's a painter, like it it was irrelevant to them. And I just started to feel this friction between every day I would go to work and I would help some random dude save 50 grand on a tax bill who could afford the 50 grand on the tax bill. And then I would go home and play in my band and my friends would be like, Hey dude, what are bonds? So, you know, for me, eventually the call to help my creative friends and my community just 
it became overwhelming. That's kind of around the time I met you. I started doing financial planning. And within a year, I had a full roster and I was busy. And through that year, I realized, actually, I don't want to do one-to-one financial planning. I think the best thing for me is to amplify my voice through publishing stuff online and eventually a book. And what we're seeing, what you're seeing through years of knowing me and through friendship and and working together, I mean, you're seeing the culmination of what I, you know, what I feel really called to do, which is to stand up on a soapbox and tell everyone to deal with their trauma and to look at the system and to find your agency and to take small steps and to, you know, implement a process and to try. And uh, sometimes it sucks, but that's the only way things are going to get better for us personally and for society at large. Mm-hmm. Mm, everyone in here is like nodding their heads furiously. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. It's funny because a guest who I spoke to earlier today, Ginger, who is very, very high up at MasterCard. She works with small businesses. She gave this quote and I'm like, oh man, this is everything that Paco is talking about too. She said that fear creates avoidance. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, that's so true for small businesses, but it's so true for anyone talking or thinking about money. I don't know why it's like, it's, they're so fearful. Everyone's so fearful that they just don't talk about it. Yeah. We're not conditioned to have open and honest conversations about money. It's not okay. You know, it's not okay for people. And my perspective is colored because for several years now, I can kind of tell people at a dinner party what it is I do. And then they're willing to just say, here's how much I make, here's my tax return. We've been conditioned to not talk about money in this way. We can talk around money, we can dance around the subject, but mm-hmm. but really like going in on those numbers is just, it's not the way that society has been set up. It's taboo still, Yeah, which is crazy. What do they say? Scared money don't make money. <laughs> Love it. I've never <laughs> heard that before and I'm, ooh, that is good. I want you to give all of our listeners who are all small business owners at this point, whether they have a side hustle or whether it's their full-time thing, I always like to say, like, if you have made $1 doing something, like selling something, then you have a business. So you are a business owner. What are the top pieces of advice that you have? And like, of course, they could be tangible, but it could also be something that we've already talked about, which is like an idea or a way to think about things. Sure. What would you give to all of the listeners? I would say the first practical piece of advice I have for everyone, especially for folks who are working for themselves, is to set aside what I like to call weekly finance time. And weekly finance time can be as short as 20 minutes. You can take an hour or more if you are trying to get that A plus gold star. But (laughs) weekly finance time is where you look at your calendar and you find time that you can meet with yourself on a regular basis. So you basically set up a standing meeting with yourself and you take that time to literally face your money. And that could look like a variety of things. For freelancers and for folks who are self-employed, you can use that time to send invoices. You can use that time to do your bookkeeping and accounting. You can use that time to follow up on invoices. You can use that time for shameless plug reading my book. You can use that time for rolling over your 401k or just, you know, if you're just starting out, just log into your bank account and just 
put your eyeballs on the transaction and just look, just get used to looking, get, you know, get less afraid. And over time, it's just like putting $25 into an investment account every week, your weekly finance time, it compounds. So your effort gets easier because you get stronger at doing it and it becomes less painful, but that it just compounds. And what you focus on expands. When you have time for yourself and you're showing yourself that you're showing up for yourself, good things happen. You know, you're showing yourself that you matter, that you're valuable, and that this is something in your life that is worth investing in. So that's baseline. Mm -hmm. Number one thing I would tell folks to do. And especially, I mean, if you have a partner and money is not something that you talk about regularly and you want to talk about it regularly, weekly finance time is amazing because if you both agree that, okay, we're going to come together on a Wednesday night, we're going <laughs> to eat a piece of cake and we're going to talk about money. Nobody is bamboozled. You know, it's not like you come home and your partner's doing laundry and you're like, what's up with that $250 you spent? Like that's <laughs> not going to end well, you know? So setting, allocating the time, I think just gives everyone a chance to regulate their nervous system, to prepare and to, you know, really show themselves that they're worth investing in. The other thing, especially for self-employed folks, I would say separate your business and your personal finances right away. And I know that's really scary, especially if you're just starting out, but it's really important to do that because one, it kind of makes you have to face the music in terms of how much your project or your, your new business is truly costing you because you're either making revenue and you're covering your costs or you're constantly having to put your personal money into that account. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. sucks. But it's also like you really need to have that wake up call. You need to understand the economics of your business because you're making a business. It's not a hobby. Like, unfortunately, the point of business is to maximize <laughs> your, your profits. It's to make money. And no, I'm not shitting on people who want to have a hobby. Please have a hobby. I have plenty of hobbies, but they don't have their own bank account. <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to make any money off of it. And then come tax time, it's just so much easier if you haven't been doing your bookkeeping. It's just easier to have all of your transactions, all of your income and your expenses in one account. It saves you time and it will save you money if you're hiring somebody to do your bookkeeping and accounting, which is the third thing that I recommend is, you know, make sure you're keeping track of how much money is coming in and how much money is going out. Code your transactions, make sure that you're maximizing your write-offs. And, you know, make sure that you're just looking so that you have an understanding of how cash flows through your business. Because especially when you're just starting out, if you're especially, I mean, no matter if you are a startup who got a bunch of money from investors or you're quote unquote bootstrapping it yourself, it's important to understand how cash flows. Cash is queen, not king. Cash <laughs> is queen. <laughs> and it's going to determine the strength of your business. It's going to determine you know, how long you can go and whether or not you can pivot. Cash flow is really important. Cash flow is very, very important. And also making something that people actually need. Otherwise, like you said, it's a hobby. Yes. Okay. So that kind of goes into another question that I have, which is, you know, a lot of people, one, they're uncomfortable talking about money. But when it comes to like, following up and asking for money that they are actually owed. There, I feel like I get this feedback a lot from small business owners, which is like, 
I've already sent two follow-up emails, you know, but I this person owes me thousands of dollars and people don't know what to do at that point. I think like they just maybe it comes to like the weird shame thing where they're like embarrassed to ask for it. What advice do you have for small business owners who like are struggling because their clients, you know, aren't paying them? Yeah. I love this question. <laughs> okay, we're, I mean, we could talk about the ethics of my advice here, or we could not. I could just give it to you and we could all just say this is fine. One thing that has worked for me, and one thing that I have recommended to lots of people, and my friends do this, is they often create a fictional person in their office. Mm-hmm. Think, and that fictional person will have an email. And that fictional person will be in charge of collecting said invoices. So like we could say like Katie at the unique empire.com. Yep. <laughs> she, she would send the invoice to the client and she'd say, I'm sending this on behalf of Sonia. And then, you know, in 30 days when the client doesn't pay or 35, whatever your payment terms are, Katie will just write back and say, hey, you know, just following up on this. And I feel like when folks can separate themselves from saying like, I need the money Mm -hmm. to Katie is just doing Katie's job, you know, asking for the money. That's a lot easier. Another thing you can do is shout out to QuickBooks, but you can just like auto remind. You can set up an auto (laughs) reminder or you just like when you're logged into QuickBooks and you're at your invoices, you just go to the drop down menu and then you say, it's just a send reminder and it'll populate with some you know, boilerplate language, like you're amazing. We love having you as a client. Please pay your bill. (laughs) Yep. And it doesn't have to feel existential, you know, it's just normal business practice. This is another reason, like to go back to weekly finance time, this is another reason why I recommend it because you look at your, what's outstanding and then you can follow up on your invoices. But from a more emotional perspective, I think folks should take some time and and maybe do some journaling and figure out what it is that they feel in their body when they're confronted with this moment where they have to ask for money. What does it feel like in their body and why do they think it feels that way? And try to unpack these ideas. Like, are they worried that they're going to look desperate? Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? You know, where do you think you learn to feel ashamed for that? Or are you worried that they're going <laughs> to realize that you need the money? Okay. Why does that make you feel crappy? Like Mm -hmm. dig into that. And that it's not an easy thing to do. Like this is, I'm asking you to really lift heavy, you know, emotionally and mentally. But if you want to improve your relationship with your finances, this is what you have to do. There's really no shortcut. You have to sit with yourself and face your stuff and be kind to yourself. And ultimately what I'm trying to teach people to do is to accept these parts of them that they've rejected accept the shame and accept the guilt and to invite it over for some cake and just hang out with it and let it know, hey, thanks for protecting me. Thanks for, you know, everything, but ease up and I'm ready to accept you. That's the only way you become whole. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple minutes ago, you mentioned a company name, which you and I both love, QuickBooks. (laughs) And, you know, one of our previous guests talked a lot about the need for small businesses in the coming years to digitize. And like, she's not talking like create a website because like everyone already has the website. She was talking about like, you know, being efficient with your time and how tools, let's say like QuickBooks or like any sort of like, you know, accounting software 
could greatly help small business owners because A, you have all the information in one place. B, like you just talked about, you can like auto send reminders for invoices. So some of, you know, you don't even have to be feel weird about sending a reminder because it like auto sends the reminder. And then also it's just this idea of like freeing up the headspace that all of some of that might take up so that you can concentrate on like how can I grow the company? You know, in which ways do I want to pivot or move this year? And so, yeah, I just wanted to mention QuickBooks, not, you know, obviously they're not a sponsor in any way, but like, you know, I wasn't on QuickBooks for, I would say, the f- at least the first half of my company. So like over six years, I went not like old school pocket, like really old school. Like a, like a spreadsheet? Um, <laughs> you know, I really like paper and pen. Oh, wow. That's pretty. You had a ledger. So, dude, wow, that's not that's some fucking great grandparents shit right there. It is. That is like literally <laughs> my, my Chinese grandfather, like with the, he had like an app. Is it the abacus? Dude, like that. <laughs> wow. I have memories of him like over his desk, you know, because he was a business owner and he would use that. So anyway, I'm old school like that. But then I met you. You taught me about the weekly finance time. I will admit, mine's not weekly, it's monthly. That's better than zero. It cha- It did. It changed my life. It, I really do believe that that conscious, like intentional time helped. And then I got on QuickBooks, which then really blew my mind. And I was like, why have I been so resistant to this? Just because I loved paper and pen and like uh, how cute the pens were like no that's ridiculous (laughs) yeah so i'm all here for digitizing and updating and doing all of that i'm curious to know you know all the cool finance stuff so like whether it's apps also i'm a huge fan of your newsletter thank you it's called the nerd letter for anyone listening who may want to sign up for this nerd letter i love it because it gives a number of links to a lot of different stories that are kind of in and around money. But it's not like, I'm a finance guru and here's all the things. There's really interesting like lifestyle stories and like stories about music and money and like lots of cool things. And so sometimes you talk about apps and services too. So I would love to get kind of your top resources, apps, cool companies, like stuff that could help everyone out there? So I think tracking cash flow, tracking your budget. I know that's a dirty word, but (laughs) there are many different apps you could use for understanding how money is moving in and out of your personal life. And I do think it's important for business owners to keep a nice, tidy, personal finance life because that's going to be reflected in your business and vice versa. Like you can't Mm -hmm. expect to have a messy personal financial life where you kind of don't know what you're spending. You kind of have like 401ks from an employer eight years ago. You're not really even sure where it is. You can't expect to keep it messy on the personal side and, you know, um, channel abundance in your business. They are, they are one in the same as in terms of how you allocate your energy. So I just wanted to say that piece. If you really like the spreadsheet functionality of things, like if you want to keep track in an actual spreadsheet like Google Sheets, I really like Tiller HQ. If you're not so great on the spreadsheets, I actually 
prefer to do a method called like a spending plan where you separate your non-discretionary expenses out of your, you have basically two accounts, a bills and life account where you pay for your rent and your groceries and things that are all fixed. And then you have a, a like a fun and BS account or an allowance account where you put money into that account. And when you're going to have pizza with your friends or a beer with your buddy or, you know, buying a bunch of pot, whatever you're doing, that's non-essential. That's kind of fun. Uh-huh. Your vices, your hobbies, put it into that separate account. And that alone, I think will blow people's minds in terms of just feeling a little bit like, okay, I can spend whatever is in this account and I've already allocated it. So it feels like you're coming from a place of abundance. You get to spend that money. But then two, you're not worried like, oh crap, what about that check I wrote to the house cleaner or whatever you, that's coming out of the other account. So that's a way for people. Yeah. That's a way for people who don't really like to budget to kind of have like a stop loss mechanism on their non essential spending. So wait, Um, so I just to make it clear for like all of our minds were just blown and I want (laughs) to summarize for listeners. So what you're saying is, let's say someone brings in $3,000 a month. Uh They just know the number that they need to live and survive. So car, rent, food, like those basic numbers. Let's, I don't know, let's just say 2,000. And also like this is for someone who doesn't live in LA. So- $2,000 goes into the must-have account and you're saying then it might not be 1000 because you probably want this person to save some money, but they basically have a chunk of money that every month then goes into this BS account. Yeah. You know the phone and BS account? I got that from... Can I say bad words? I mean, I already Yes, said of course. Words. Oh my God. Okay. I curse all the time on this thing. <laughs> okay. Amazing. So the Notorious B.I.G. has a song called Party and Bullshit. So basically you have a party and bullshit account, Yes. Right? And so let's just say you put in 500 for nice round numbers and then 500 gets invested. Yeah, you then you walk around and you have 500, you know, large in this party and bullshit account and you just do whatever you want. You buy 500 cheeseburgers if that's what you want to do. Wow. Okay, this is <laughs> I really do think that this is going to be so helpful for people because it's not like you want them to sit down and highlight the thing on their bank account. I mean, that is good too, but to just have a number and be okay with that number. And it's like, when you finish, you're done. You're done, yeah. And it, it frees up a lot of mental space. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, I, I'm not gonna, yeah, you're right. I'm not asking people, it's like asking somebody who's a night owl to become a morning person. They're just yeah. not gonna. So just meet them where they're at. And this yeah. is a way to meet people where they're at. I know oh. it's not an app, but it works really no, well. No, I love that. I love that. Okay, next idea, because these are gonna be gems. <laughs> The other app, okay, so, but if you're, let's say you're the extreme opposite, you're really, really nerdy and you like tracking things. Mm-hmm. There's an app called You Need a Budget, YNAB. Uh, that, I mean, when there are lots of people who, once they convert to YNAB, it's like, I mean, they, they sing its praises. They love that app. How so, do you, how do you spell that? Uh, the letter Y, the letter N, the letter A, the letter B. Okay. You need a budget. It's an acronym. Oh, got it, got it, got it. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) We were like, oh my God, she said that so fast. Okay, perfect. Got it. (laughs) I recently have been obsessed with tracking my net worth. I think once you go from I'm struggling with cash flow, I need to earn enough money to start hitting my goals. Once you graduate from the, okay, I make enough and I'm not living paycheck to paycheck and I've got a grip on my spending. I think it's smart to shift your focus into your net worth. Your net worth is going to be 
all of your assets, so all of your cash, all of your retirements, all of your Bitcoins, all of your Pokemon cards that are so valuable, those are all your assets. Minus your debts, so let's say maybe you have a mortgage, you have a car loan, you have student loans, those balances, right? The balances of your assets minus the balance of your debt equals your net worth. And the reason why this number is so important is because at a certain number, right? At a certain number with net worth, you have you can stop working and you can live off of the returns on your investments. Mm-hmm. That's called financial independence. That's called financial freedom. That's called fuck you. I get to do whatever I want, right? Mm-hmm. And so you should track your net worth because we should all be so lucky to achieve that goal, right? That actualization. And the app I love for this is Personal Capital. Mm-hmm. It doesn't allow you to track your crypto or anything, you know, kind of outside the norm, but it's a really good tool for just checking in with, hey, you know, things are on the up and up and they're consistently on the up and up. And it's it's just a really nice app for that. Wrote it down. Got it. <laughs> I, yeah, I literally wrote it down. <laughs> okay. And I got one more for yep. folks who are in debt and you're trying to understand what your options are in terms of, okay, how do I prioritize paying off all these different debts that I have? Maybe you have multiple credit cards or you've got a student loan and a credit card and a personal loan, whatever you've got, no judgment. There's an app called Unbury. It's not an app. It's a website called unbury.me. And it's just easy to use. You just dump in all of your loan information, like your balances and your interest rates and your minimum payment, and it allows you to kind of map out what your payment plan would look like, and then you can manipulate it. You could say, what if I made, you know, an extra $100 payment on this every month? Cool. What does that do for me? And how does that impact my pay off plan? And one of the things, one of the reasons why I really like this tool is because it gives you a debt free date, right? So you get to see, okay, in two years, right, two years, three years, and you can manipulate the data and you can see, okay, if I shorten my, if I increase my payment, how much closer does that bring me to my debt-free date? Mm-hmm. So that's a great tool. Oh my God. I love all of those. I would love for you to tell us the name of your upcoming book and what it is about. Sure. I wrote a book called Finance for the People, and it's all about getting a grip on your personal finances. It addresses the practical aspect of it, like how do you calculate your net worth? What is a net worth? How does compounding interest work? But it also helps you tackle some of the more emotional sides of money, like why do I not feel like I'm worthy? Or where did I learn these stories about, you know, I have to work so, so hard. I have to sacrifice so, so much just to feel safe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the perfect marriage to figure out, you know, what's going on within your financial life. It doesn't ignore the fact that racism and inequality exists, but what it does is it shows people how to find their agency within an unequal system. Mm. Mm. Snap, snap. Girl, like. (laughs) Today's top takeaways include, number one, set aside weekly finance time. This could be as short as 20 minutes, but set a recurring day and time weekly that's dedicated to reviewing your company finances. If you're like me and you, air quotes, hate doing accounting or looking at numbers or looking at your bank account, this 
tip is for you. Number two, separate your business and personal finances. This is a huge one, y'all. Separating will help you actually track your money flow that's going in and out and help you understand if your business is profitable or not. What you do not want to do is drain your personal finances for your business. Number three, the harsh truth is if you're not making money, it's not a business, it's a hobby. If it's profitable, then you have a business, but if not, it might be time to change up the strategy or simply accept what you're doing as a passion and a hobby. And number four, organized finances reflect an organized business. There are so many great services to help you keep track of your money. A couple, for instance, are Tiller HQ, which is a great resource that organizes your spending into spreadsheets. And of course, QuickBooks is an amazing resource that can show you your overall view of all business finances, from sending and tracking invoices, to monitoring cash flow, to looking at your bank accounts. If SOS has helped your business, I would love to hear from you. The best thing that you can do to help spread the word about this podcast is give us a five, once again, that's five star rating, and remember to leave a review. Honestly, that's probably the best way that more people will discover this great podcast. Follow me on Instagram at Sonia Rasula, that's S-O-N-J-A. R-A-S-U-L-A, and you can follow my business at Unique Markets. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe. And if you're listening to us on Spotify, make sure to follow. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening.